Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Well, when you get to the ripe old age of me, I won't say what it is. <laughs> it's uh, sometimes you need to sit down a little bit, so bear with me. Huh? And the reason I have my hat on, I'm not trying to be rude or irreverent. I had cancer removed from the top of my head, so side of my head, excuse me. So it's better looking than what my head looked like. Okay, so bear with me today. I, I don't think I've ever preached with a hat on, so this is the first time, all right? Um, also, just a little commercial, this is the, the season of uh, incarnate Christ, his coming, the Advent season. And I wrote a book 20 years ago and just uh, put it out again, renewed the whole thing, added some new chapters to where we are today. It was... Uh, 2003, this is 2023 that I put this book out, and it is as relevant today as ever, and it just came out, it's on Amazon if you'd like to get a hold of it, it's called Bringing Heaven to Earth, Fulfilling Your Kingdom Purpose. Folks, I I tell you, that's what Christmas is all about. He came from heaven to earth to bring us his gift of great salvation, amen? And now we as his people are the ones that are to go and emulate that. We are bringing Christ to earth today through our lives. So I encourage you to pick that up if you have a chance, and uh, I pray that it will bless your hearts, and it'll uh, encourage you and challenge you with the responsibility that we have of bringing heaven to earth every day. That's our responsibility, amen? So let's have a little word of prayer, and then I wanna begin. Father, I want to thank you for this time that we have being together today. I want to thank you for Rivers Church. I thank you for Pastor Tyrone and Amy, their ministry here. And Lord, we just are so blessed to be a part of this family today. And we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will come now and speak to our hearts. It won't be me, but you, Lord. Not my words, but your words, Lord. And we pray, Father, that Uh, by the power of your Spirit, that you will transform us today. And Lord, that we will be people who bear Jesus in this world today. Lord, I ask that when we leave this place, it'll be uh, transformed by the power of your Word. Let us not just be hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. And we thank you in Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to thank you as a church. I haven't been back since this uh, summer when Pastor Tyrone visited us in Kuwait. But I want to thank you for sending him out and uh, letting him be released during that time. He was a great blessing to the whole Life Connection Network. They're still watching your, your video, Tyrone, and your teachings. 
he was such a blessing to the people there, and he loved them, he encouraged them, and uh, they really want you to come back, Tyrone. You and Amy next time, uh, you had a real impact on the lives of those people. So uh, thank you. I want to thank you from our organization for, for releasing him for that period of time. I want to talk to you this morning for a little bit on this first Sunday of Advent. And in keeping with your theme of incarnate, I want to talk to you about your incarnate mission, emulating Mary's journey in our lives. As we focus on the Advent season, I want us to reflect on the profound truth that the Christmas story, that story that you began to read this morning and that you read, I know in our home, every Christmas, when we gather around with our family, we would uh, open up the Word of God, and before we had anything to do with gifts and giving, we would make sure that we put our focus in the right place. I wanted my boys to know what Christmas was really about. And so as we think about all of this and we celebrate the Christmas story and we celebrate and we remember for its historical significance, but it's more than just a narrative of the past. And that's the thing I want us to get a hold of today. The story that you're reading is more than just a narrative of some event that took place in the past. It is an ongoing, living story in which each of us plays a vital role. You say, me? I play a role in the coming of Jesus? Well, the incarnation of Jesus, in other words, the act of God becoming man, is not just a miraculous event that happened over 2,000 years ago, but it is a divine pattern that continues in and through us as believers today. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, he captures beautifully in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, he says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions to sonship. This passage not only highlights the incarnation of Jesus, but it also points to its purpose, to bring us into the family of God. In other words, making us partakers also of his divine mission. Now, as we ponder this today, let's consider the role of Mary in this divine narrative. Chosen to bear the Savior of the world, her story is not just about the birth of Jesus, but also about her response. Amy read us her response, but let me remind you in Luke chapter 1 and verse 38, that records her response to the angel Gabriel, where she said, I am the Lord's servant. Then she went on to say, may your word to me be fulfilled. Notice her acceptance and obedience to the angel's words. And those words set in motion the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan 
for humanity. But let's bring it a little closer. Those words set into action God's redemptive plan for each of you and for me. See, Mary's role in the Christmas story is not where this pattern of incarnation ends. Because just as Mary was called to bring Jesus to the world physically, we are called to bring him into the world spiritually through our lives and through our actions. Matthew 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there, verse 14 to 16. Jesus tells us, you are the light of the world. He's talking to his disciples. And you're one of those if you know him as Savior today and Lord. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and what? Glorify your Father in heaven. Now herein lies our incarnational mission. To be bearers of Christ's light, to live in such a way that through us, the world may see and what? Know Jesus. Someone once said, look, best Bible that anybody can read is your life. And the only Bible somebody will ever read is your life. So this Christmas story then is not just a historical account we remember once a year. It is our story. It's my story. It's your story. An ongoing narrative where each of us is called to participate in God's grand divine design of reconciliation to the world, of the world, I should say, to himself. Now, verse you're getting very familiar with, but is a theme verse of our very church, Life Connection Ministries. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, and Amy quoted that a little bit ago to you. It says this, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Now there's the commission to go. We go because he came. Amen? We go because he came to us, the incarnate Christ. And now he says, you go. And he says, do this, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. This is called the Great Commission. For some people, it's the Great Omission because they're not <laughs> heeding this call. But this is a call to all of his disciples to go and reproduce. Go. It's our mandate to continue the work of incarnation. Just as Christ took on human form to reveal God's love and salvation to humanity, look, we're called to embody his presence, his teachings, and his love in what? Our daily lives. Now, our role in discipleship and disciple-making is not a passive one. It's an active 
intentional pursuit of growing in Christ-likeness and guiding others to do the same. What do you think your pastor has been preaching about discipleship, emulating it in his own life just by discipling others? And, and Amy and many of you have caught God's command. You're embracing it. Why? Why do you think they're doing this? Because they want to see you grow in Christ-likeness, and they want to guide others to do the same thing. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, we are therefore Christ's what? Ambassadors. Look at your neighbor and say, you know what? You're an ambassador. Go ahead, be bold. You're an ambassador. You are an ambassador. That's our role. As Christ, he says, we therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We are God's chosen instruments, tasked with the sacred responsibility of what? Representing Christ in our words, in our actions, and you know what? In our interactions. This concept of continuing the incarnation through discipleship, that extends beyond mere knowledge of Scripture or participation in religious rituals. It's about a deep, transformative relationship with Christ, folks, that spills over into every aspect of our lives. It's about living, living in such a way that others can see, they can feel, and they can experience the love and truth of Jesus through our actions, and through our attitudes. So as we delve a little bit this morning into this topic that we've been given, I want us to open our hearts and our minds. And look, let's open our hearts to the profound reality of our calling. I want us to grasp that today. Folks, we are not just followers of a historical figure. But I want you to know today that you are an active participant in God's ongoing story. You are called, whether you have embraced it or not. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have been called to incarnate Christ's love and truth in a world that desperately, desperately needs Jesus. If you don't believe it, just look what's happening on our college campuses today and around our, our, the United States. The division, the wounds, the hurts, the anger all around us. We are in desperate need of the peace that God brought and the love that God brought. Look, let's embrace his calling with faith, with courage, and let's embrace it with a deep commitment to living out the principles of discipleship and disciple-making in our daily lives. So you say, all right, all right, Pastor, all right. How do I do that? Well, let me give you a couple of things that I want to encourage you with today. The first thing is this. You have to first embrace God's commission in your life. You can hear it. Amy can quote it. Pastor Tyrone can quote it. I can quote it. 
But you got to move it 16 inches from here to here. And sometimes this journey is the longest journey that we'll make. It's us embracing by accepting our appointed path. We are embracing the extraordinary invitation of God as Mary did. The story of Mary, as detailed in Luke 1, 26 to 38, offers a profound example of embracing God's call. Look, as you read this, here's this young girl, probably around 15, 16 years old. And the angel of the Lord approaches her with this news that he would alter the course of history. And she, this young girl, was to bear the Son of God. Now, it's not just a call to motherhood, let me tell you, but a divine appointment to participate in God's salvation plan for all of humanity. Mary's response in verse 38 is one of humble acceptance and faith. Her response sets a precedent for how we, too, should respond to God's calling in our lives. She says in this in this verse, in verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Okay, Lord, if that's what you're calling me to do, here am I. I'm available. You see, the first step is believing in our preordained purpose. Before I can embrace and accept my appointed path, I have to believe in our predestined purpose. Understanding and stepping into God's ordained plan for my life, I got to embrace that. The Bible repeatedly affirms that God has a specific plan for each person. Look, we live in a world where everybody's wanting to know, why am I here? Where am I going? What's my life all about? Well, the Bible repeatedly tells us that God has a plan for your life. You're not an accident. There are no accidents or whoops in God's plan. You are special in God's plan. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, God tells Jeremiah, get this, and he's telling you this today. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. This verse underscores the belief, folks, that God has a purpose for every individual. He has a role in his grand design for you. Think about that a minute. God has a role in his design for you. It was formulated even before you were a thought in mom and dad, before the foundations of the world, before your birth. This call is not only about a grand mission, but also about daily life choices that align with God's will. If you don't believe you have a, if you have a plan, that God has a plan for you, 
Just remember Jeremiah 29, 11, a verse that so many of you have already memorized, where God says, I have a plan for you. It's a good plan, not for calamity, but a plan that's a purpose for you, designated purpose for your life to bring good and not evil. You know, I've been so blessed over the years to walk alongside of many people that humbly said yes to God's plan and purpose for their life. I had the privilege several years ago of leading an educational part of a a church planting mission that we had. It was to plant 5,000 churches across Central Asia, which called the Old Silk Road. And it was all the Stan countries, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, all the Stan countries, and they're all Muslim countries. So we were raising up national church planters, not people from America, not people from London or Europe, but national people, people from Uzbekistan, people from Kazakhstan, people from Turkmenistan. All these people we were raising up. And my job was to train these church planters. I remember when they came back after we would, we would train them for two weeks and then we'd send them back to their homes to live out what they had been learning. It was nothing about book knowledge. It was about preparing them for them to understand the word and to grow and to be supported in their commitment and then to send them back out and do it. They didn't have Bible education. This was their Bible education. They were just people who heard from the Lord and said, like Mary, I'm willing. I'll do it. One time when I came back after the break, I saw one of the couples there. We were sharing, and this couple from Uzbekistan who made less than $50 in a month. They had a very humble life. They had planted a church. The church was beginning to grow. The Uzbeks heard about it. Some of the people in the village, they brought some of the leaders. They came to their home. They took them out of their home. The government took them out of their home. They beat them. They, they stole their home for them. They fined them money, which they did not have. And then they kicked them out of their own village. They lost everything. Everything. But they came back to our training. And they stood in front of everybody. And they wept. And as they wept, our whole 250 students were crying as they said. They told us of these events, and then they declared that they were committed to making disciples and building God's kingdom, even if they lose their lives. In 50 years of serving God, I've witnessed so many individuals who have responded to God's call in ways that mirror Mary's faith and her courage. I think of the precious pastors in India I served with. I've witnessed so many of these individuals who 
who actually left their homes and their families and their jobs. And they moved up into the, what was called the Bihar state, which is the poorest state in India. I visited some of these little churches and people that had never been to a school formally, but we'd drive up in those villages and they would take us and wash our feet and we would just weep and cry as they were ministering to us. And they were so joyful, so happy. They had hardly anything and they would buy a chicken, which is almost more than what they would have in a month themselves. And they would buy this chicken in order to give us some meat to eat. But these pastors knew that they were facing great challenges. Many of them were run out of their villages where they were ministering. Some were even killed. Some of these individuals lost everything, but they were committed to the job that God had called them to. They saw it as a divine purpose of incarnating Christ to a world that needed him. Or how about my fellow laborers in Kuwait who chose to stay there even though they had better offers and better jobs in other countries, yet they're still there today. Some of them have been there 30 years. They're ministering to people that abuse them and take advantage of them. Why? Why are they doing that? Because they've been called by God to stay and demonstrate Jesus to them. And we're not talking pastors. We're talking about McDonald workers and restaurant workers and hotel workers, people that Tyrone met, living in the room with three or four individuals. But they've chosen to stay. And they said, we're not leaving till we disciple and prepare for the next generation who will come to these people and continue to love them. Or let's bring it a little closer to home and mention families here who've opened their home to foster kids and to adopt children, providing love and stability in a turbulent world, just like your pastor and others in this church have done. These are examples. This is real examples of a deep understanding of God's call. It often leads us out of our comfort zones into places where we can serve him and others more effectively. Did you notice that in verse 26 of our chapter today, it said in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel would, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. I want to ask you about navigating your Nazareth, folks. Identifying and responding to God's call in your unique context is what I'm talking about. Mary lived in Nazareth. You don't. But you live here. And you work there and there and there, wherever God's put you. See, Mary's Nazareth was a literal place, but it also represents the situation and the challenges where God's call finds us. Our Nazareth might be our workplace, 
It might be our community or a specific area of our lives where we feel God nudging us toward a path that's less traveled. It's essential for you to discern and embrace this calling, even when it seems daunting and impossible to you. You're, going, you're sitting here going, I'm the most unlikely. No, you're not. How about a 15 or 16-year-old girl? She's the most unlikely. How do we apply this to our lives? Well, first, we must engage in self-reflection and prayer, asking God to reveal our role in his plan. What's your role in God's plan? Now, obviously, you're not. all of you aren't called to pastor this church or even be a pastor. That's not the call. But what is your Nazareth? What seemingly impossible task is God asking of each of you? You know what? This reflection requires honesty and openness to the possibilities God presents. Look, if you think yours is impossible, be this young girl, unmarried, betrothed, told she's going to bear a baby, and not be married to Joseph yet? That's pretty impossible for a 16-year-old girl. You see, we must embrace the calling with the faith and trust exemplified by Mary. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 19, 26. He said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, what does he say? All things are, all things are possible. You see, this insurance should embolden us to step out in faith, knowing that God equips and accompanies us in our journey. Hallelujah. Like Mary, we're each called to a unique purpose in God's plan. And it's up to us to embrace this call. And it requires faith, it requires courage, and it requires a willingness to step out of our comfort zone. Let us open our hearts today to God's guidance. Let's get ready to respond with the same faithfulness and trust as Mary did in Nazareth. Let's be willing to say, be it unto me, Lord. Let it be. So first we have to embrace God's commission in our lives. And then secondly, we have to live a life of faith and obedience. First thing you got to do is just be willing to say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. But you know, it could have stopped there with Mary, in a sense, because she could have then said, aha, uh, she'd gone another direction. But in faith and obedience, she obeyed the angel of the Lord. See, manifesting Mary's mindset is what we've got to do. We've got to emulate Mary's faith and obedience in our daily walks. The essence of Mary's life as depicted in Scripture is characterized by unwavering faith and obedience. And I think this is best captured in Luke 1, 46 to 55, which is Mary's Magnificat or Mary's Song of Praise. Mary glorifies God, acknowledges his mighty works. Her words reflect deep understanding and acceptance of God's character and God's plans. 
Luke 2.19, we see Mary pondering the events surrounding Jesus' birth. Let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this symbolizing her reflective, this just symbolized her reflective and obedient nature. But this scripture doesn't just account a historical event, but it sets a pattern for living life attuned to God's will, a life of faith and a life of obedience. The Magnificat is a model for all of us. We can draw inspiration from this. In the Magnificat, Mary expresses her profound faith in God's promises. And if you read this, you look, her song is a testament to her belief in God's power to uplift the humble and fill the hungry with good things, she says. This deep-seated faith is not blind. This is not blind faith. It's informed by her knowledge of God's character and his action throughout history. Look, folks, Mary's song is an encouragement to each of us today. I challenge you this month, this week, go home, read the Magnificat. It's just a few verses. Read what she says. Read how she praises the Lord. Take a moment then to use these words to praise God for what he's doing in and through your life. It's showing us how to understand God's nature and God's promise and how it can lead to a life of faith and obedience. Let me say this. Your faith And your willingness to obey him is based on your knowledge of him. Did you get that? Your faith and your obedience. In other words, to the degree that you trust God will be dependent upon how well you know him. We don't trust people we don't know. We trust people that we know. That's why ignorance is not bliss in the body of Christ. Can I get an amen for that? Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the believer. Because look, when I truly grasp a hold of who he is and who I am in him, I can then trust in what he says he will do. Amen? I can trust in his love. I can trust in his care for me. That's why we must take the time to get to know him and develop an intimate relation with him. What is discipleship? It's growing in intimacy with Christ. And as I grow in that relationship, then praise God, I trust him more. Then I can step out. I can do what he calls me to do. I can go where he may send me. This is why it's so important that we be committed to being disciple and discipling other people. It's not just something your pastor is just shouting out. He's saying this because he loves you. He loves you enough to care that you grow and develop in your understanding of Christ so that you can then be obedient. So you can then trust. You know, so many people, when they're going through difficult times, struggle because they have such little understanding of God. Daniel 11.32 says this, The people who know their God shall be strong 
and carry out great exploits. Do you want to do something for the Lord? You really want to do something, accomplish something? Do you want to bring Christ to this world? Then I'm going to tell you right now, you need to know your God. This is how I was able to step out during the second Kuwait war. One month after it started, I had more people thinking I was dumb and weird and stupid for doing what I about I did. My wife and I took our two youngest children and we boarded an airplane. I went ahead of her to try to get things prepared. And she came to me a, a, a month later with our two sons into Kuwait and the war was still going on. Why would I do that? Because I'd already seen that God was faithful to keep his word. See, over and over in our life, God had already proven to us that, you know, when you're raising six boys and you don't know where the, sometimes where the next meal is coming from, but you have a God who says he'll provide and you learn that he is your provider, then you can trust him to step out. I remember one time I told my wife, I, I don't know where I, how we're going to get wood. for. We, we had a wood-burning stove that was heating our house up in Seattle. By the way, that's why I'm a Seahawks fan, because I lived there. See, I pastored there. I used to go to the games. So, <laughs> and I'm still standing with them. But anyway, the truth is this. Look, that there was times up there. I mean, it gets cold, and we didn't have... I told her all of our wood was gone. I wasn't having steady income. We were planting a church. We're doing that. We didn't go through an organization. I didn't go around asking people to support me. I trusted the Lord and what he told me to do. I got up that morning and said, honey, I'm going to go out and try to find some work. And I'm going to try to get some wood so we can heat this house tonight. A cold front was coming in. I said, if it doesn't happen, I'm cutting up the table your mother gave you. You better pray. I'm serious. I was so concerned that what was going to happen. I opened up the door to go outside, and an envelope fell to the ground. And I opened the envelope up. There was a check. And in it, or a cash with a, a note wrapped around it. And on that, on that note, it said, for wood. I hadn't told anybody I was going to go cut up her table. Only her. And that wasn't her note because it wasn't her handwriting. You see, when you know God, you can trust God. Applying this to our lives means identifying areas where we can exhibit greater faith and obedience. Here's a question. Where can I demonstrate faith like Mary did? Where can my obedience to God's will be strengthened. You know, folks, it might be in standing up for what's right in your workplace, engaging in honest business practices, showing greater patience and love with your co-workers. Maybe that's a good place to start. Or it might be in sharing God's love with my neighbor or someone who comes from another country, God forbid, so many Americans, we just, we, we don't even take the time to get to know those around us. 
but they're from a different country and they worship a different God and we're scared of them and we know a lot. We've heard a lot of things about them and so we don't, we're not going to stay away. People, we don't understand how much they want to know. You know, we, in this book, I talk about the fact that if we only knew how the lost really feel and how they really look at you as a believer, So maybe that's what God's calling you to do. Just get real with some refugee that's living near you. Or maybe it's saying yes to God's call to go and serve him in a foreign land. You've been holding back. You say, but I'm not a church planter. But maybe God's calling you into another capacity. I know retired people that are going overseas to give the last part of their lives in serving a community. To live a life of faith and obedience like Mary involves a daily commitment to aligning our choices with God's will, even in the face of uncertainty or adversity. It's about trusting God's plan and being willing to act on it regardless of personal costs or societal expectations. We are called to bear Christ to this world. We're called to embrace God's commission. We're called to live a life of faith and obedience. And we're called to bear Christ to this world. In today's world, we see this calling manifested in various ways. Maybe it's a micro church or a house church who's dedicated to helping the less fortunate and the hurting and a tangible example of living out the gospel. These individuals provide not just physical necessities, but also they provide love and dignity and hope. They mirror the compassion of Christ. How do you think we reach people in Kuwait? A lot of foreign workers are there. They're hurting. They're going. They're far from home and families. It's just reaching out, loving them, opening our home, feeding them, bringing them in being willing to sit with them and share the love of Jesus with them. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. You are called to be the hands and the heart of Jesus. How can I bring Christ's love and compassion and truth of the gospel into my everyday interactions? That's the question you need to ask every day. Lord, today, how can I bring the truth of Jesus to this world that you've placed me in, to my Nazareth. How can I do that today? Lord, show me. Our call is to incarnate Christ intrinsically. That call is is intrinsically linked to the call of the disciples. Being a disciple of Christ means more than following his teaching. It involves embodying his character his love, and his message in every aspect of our lives. It also entails the intentional act of making disciples, echoing Jesus' command in Matthew 28, where we've mentioned. As you meditate on this passage of Scripture, let's draw the inspiration of Mary, her story, her faith, her obedience. 
Let me ask you a question today as we close. And let me leave you with these practical ways to incarnate Christ. Just write these down. Because some of you are sitting here go, well, where do I start? What do I do? Number one, build authentic relationships. Discipleship begins with relationship building. Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your coworkers? Do you really know them? Or is it, hi. Build relationships. Number two, model Christ-like behavior. In other words, lead by example. Look, if your life is no different than their life and you don't have anything any better going on in your world than they do, why do they want your Jesus? Look, our actions in our life needs to reflect Jesus. Number three, engage in spiritual mentorship. Actively mentor others in their spiritual journey. Start a go group. <laughs> Come on. It doesn't take a degree in theology. It doesn't take, come on. All it takes is you saying, hey, will you read the Bible with me? Will you just sit down and read the Bible with me? You read it and we come back together and we'll just talk about it together for a few minutes. A few minutes. You know what? You're gonna find people are hungry. Number four. Commit to service and to outreach. Be available. Have you, have you come to Pastor Tyrone? You might pass out. But have you come up to Pastor Tyrone and said, look, Pastor, here I am. I'm available, bro. Whatever we can do. I'll be there. He asked. He said, we need some volunteers, man. I'm there, Pastor. Or when he's challenging you about discipleship, about going. I'm willing to try, Pass. I'm willing to try. It just starts there. And number five, teaching and equipping. Look, if you're going to embrace the incarnate mission, you're going to have to train others and send them. Why do you think your church here is developing a very clear discipleship path. You know, when I started first meeting with Tyrone, he said, well, well how, how do you do this? And I pulled out a, a brochure that I gave him, and I said, well, here's our path. You see, you can't follow if you don't know where you're going. Amen? So I said, this is what we challenge our disciples. We wrote it down. Look, here's this, here's this, here's these things. Look, that's not your salvation, but your salvation is by faith alone in Christ. But this is to help you grow in Christ's likeness. And you know what? Thousands have embraced. And they're out serving Jesus in their workplaces, planting churches. You too. God's calling you. Start with a go group. Or start by just saying, Pastor, I'll be at the next training. I'm, I'm available because God's called me. I want to incarnate Christ. On the screen, I'm going to get out of the way. But there are some questions I would like you to go home and ask yourself. I'm not even going to read them to you. 
notes. You can write them down. I want to challenge you this week, if you're meeting with some of your go group or whatever, get a little brave and ask these questions. You are called like Mary to bring Christ to this world, bringing heaven to earth, fulfilling your kingdom purpose. Father, I pray, Lord, that each one of us today might embrace what you're asking us to hear, Lord, to birth Jesus in our world, to be salt, to be light like Jesus, to bear Christ in our neighborhood, to bear Christ in our homes, to bear Christ in our workplace, to bear Christ in our places of fun. Lord, you've called us. And here in this country, we have so much, and we get so sidetracked. Forgive us, Lord, and bring our attention back to where it belongs. Lord, we live in a world where people are so scared, so hungry for something something they're searching for, and money and things and stuff and relationships and false gods. Lord, let us bear the living Lord to a hurting world. Thank you, Lord. Let it transform our heart today, your word. Holy Spirit, don't let us leave the same we came. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.